0: What it means to be crucified with Christ. That's the subject of our time today, here on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Won't you join us? And again, hello, welcome to our program today. What does it mean to be crucified with Christ? We understand that Christ was indeed crucified for our sins, but now that we find ourselves in Christ, how is it that we are crucified with Him? What does all that mean? Well, that's the subject of our time today as our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard, returns us to the book of Galatians and our series, The Gospel Brings Freedom. The Apostle Paul is pretty emphatic on the point that this gospel freedom is indeed true freedom, no strings attached. With more, here's Pastor Phil Howard.
1: The Declaration of God, it's a courtroom term, so you hear language like it's forensic. Uh, Some of you watch uh, CSI on TV, forensic evidence. It's a courtroom term in which you come before a judge, and the judge either says guilty, thus condemned, or not guilty. We declare you right in the sight of the court. That means the judge has a certain set of standards, and it came from that original word to measure something, dike, and it meant to just measure, have norms, have boundaries. And he says, You pass all the standards of the court to be declared to be right in the sight of the court. I declare you to be right. Justified means the judge passes a sentence on you. I declare you to be right. Well, how can he ever declare you to be right? I thought we were sinners. We are through and through. All we have gone astray. Romans three fourteen counts. No one seeks God. Our mouths are filthy. Our feet are swift to shed blood. The way of peace we've not known. No one has ever sought God. And he just quotes from the Psalms. One indictment after another. So that the whole world, Jew and Gentile, may be guilty before God. But. God has revealed a righteousness that is not based on works, but a righteousness, and that word you righteousness, a justifying, a declaring to be right, that comes through nothing other than faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what he says, watch. We can be declared righteous or justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So what does this mean? I come before the judge. I'm guilty of all these crimes. Now, I want to leave the court and you declare me right. How can you do this? Well, the way he does it is he had a substitute take the crime and pay for the crime. And that is the explanation for the death of the judge's son, Jesus Christ. He took the crime, and he paid for it. So number one, in the eyes of the court, he forgives all the wrong we've done. But before you leave the court, he does something else. He says, now that you put faith in my son, I'm going to so identify you with my son, that in one swoop, I'm going to do something. I'm going to transfer my son's righteousness to you. I made my son to be your sin that takes care of your guilt and grants you forgiveness. But that's just negative. I got rid of what's negative about you. But you're still naked before me unless I clothe you. So now I'm going to impute. Now get that word. Impute. Romans 4. Put to your charge, put to your credit, a righteousness not of your own, but the righteousness of my very Son Himself, so that I can say, "You are righteous in the eyes of the court," for I see the righteousness of my Son to your account. That's the gospel. Second Corinthians five twenty-one. For God made Him the Son to be sin for us, the one who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians one thirty. For to us Christ has become redemption, salvation, and righteousness. Christ is my righteousness. We used to sing a song here. Uh, it went this way. We have come into this place. To magnify his name and worship him. We have come into this place to magnify his his name and worship him. Then the second stanza: he is all my righteousness. I stand complete in him and worship him. He is all my righteousness. I stand complete in him and worship him. Wait, wait, wait. If he is all your righteousness, what else do you need? You think you're going to do a few little good works over here to doctor up the case? No. God declares you to be right in the court when you have put faith in his son, Jesus. The righteousness of his son is transferred to you, and God can treat you as he treats his son. Not condemned in the eyes of the court. You're right. This is what it means to be justified by faith alone. Now, you must know the great battle that happened with uh, Martin Luther and the Roman church was this. Uh, Luther said if anyone could have earned heaven by being a good monk, he would have. I believe he fasted around three times a week. He slept on a plywood plank that was uh, just at a a slant. Uh, He was an Augustinian monk. Uh, He went into the uh, uh, ministry because he he was struck off his horse by lightning, kind of like Paul, and in a lightning storm was scared to death, and he prayed out to Saint Anne, if you'll spare my life, she's believed to be a saint, if you spare my life, I'll go into the ministry. Luther's father was totally upset because Luther was headed to be a lawyer, and his dad wanted to be a lawyer and take care of him in his old age. And uh, he winds up going into the Augustinian order. Well, when he gets there, uh, he becomes a university professor. And he's teaching Pauline epistles and uh, theology, Latin, you know, all of those great disciplines of that time. And uh, he began to wonder. uh, He said when he used to read Romans 1 that... uh, the gospel, in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. He said, it tortured me. That very phrase, the righteousness of God. Because what he'd understood it to mean was the righteous requirements of God. And he said, Romans 1.16 became like chains to his soul. He, he resented it. He resented it. How can I do any more? And I still feel like a dirty monk. I still feel dirty. I can't do enough. I can't do enough. I can't do enough. And one day he was studying Romans uh, on this. And Galatians and Romans were his favorite epistles. And he read a a commentary by Augustine in the third century that said the righteousness there is not God's righteous requirements, but the righteousness he offers in the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For in the gospel is a righteousness from God to all who believe. Not a righteous requirement, a righteousness as a gift. I offer you the righteousness you cannot attain as a gift if you just believe the gospel. He said when that broke through to him, he said it became a stairway to paradise to him. Romans 1, 16 through 18 that the just shall live by faith. And as he was crawling on one of the basilica stairways in Rome when he made a visit there, it rung through his heart, I can never be right with God by crawling on steps. I can never be right with God by the Augustinian order and all of the rules I'm going through. Because Rome said this, to say that a man is righteous without being righteous inherently is a legal fiction other words, they come up and just say, God says, you're righteous. Wait, wait, wait. I must be righteous for you to declare me righteous. Right? I've got to be righteous to ever be declared righteous. Wait a minute. So Rome and the reformers got into a fight. And it was over two words. Infused righteousness or imputed righteousness. What's the difference? Infused means God does something inside of you. He makes you righteous inside. He gives you all these righteous uh, things that you enables you to do. And they would say it's by grace. But something changes in you so that you are now right, right. Reformers said, no, no, no. The righteousness we get is not infused in us. It's an alien righteousness. It's outside of me. It's a gift righteousness he puts to my account. So that I came in as a sinner. I leave out as a sinner. But something's changed. My status before God is I now stand before him right on the basis of a gift righteousness put to my account. So we say... The righteousness of Christ is imputed. There's a battle going on now in theological circles. It's coming out of England in T. Wright. And others are saying this kind of a heresy. What's imputed to you for righteousness is your faith. That he makes your faith the righteousness imputed. No, no, no. Faith is the empty hand that gets a righteousness outside of its faith. It receives the righteousness of Christ received by faith alone now no one can be just or be declared right before God on the basis of law works two one can be declared right before God by simply putting their trust in Christ Jesus alone and if you will take him alone God will declare you to be in the right forever now we come to some very difficult verses. Verses 17 through 19. And, and Jim, Kyle, don't come up to you because I'll smack you. Don't, you don't know these verses like I do. I've looked at them all week. He's my critic. He comes up every week to say if I get it right or not. And these are tough verses. Real tough. They're hard to interpret. And um, I um, I have to read to you... You know, if I study and sweat, you've got to hear what I studied, right? You know, I think, oh, I don't want to hear this. Too bad. I've been sweating all week over that, those two verses alone. 16 is very easy. But 17 says, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Let me uh, give you what the best argument I think I heard on it. If you want to read Galatians by John Stott, by James Boyce, I'll give you 10 other authors if you want to read them. Uh, This is... Because everybody admits there's, about, there's so many views on the verses, I can't give them all to you. But it seems to be in the context what he's saying is that he's refuting an error of what they're saying about this teaching. If a man is justified before God by faith alone, and he doesn't have to observe law works, and he doesn't have to observe any certain rules that you can impose on him, won't he become lawless? Won't he want to sin more? Come on, you've got to, there's something you've got to do. And let me state it. This is how the argument stated. Your doctrine of justification by faith is dangerous, Paul. For by eliminating the law, you're eliminating a man's sense of moral responsibility. If you can be accounted righteous before God by faith alone, plus no works, where's the standard of morality we will live by? Where are, the, where are the Christian standards for conduct? Your doctrine is dangerous. And what he's really saying is, this doctrine of justification by faith, it doesn't make us greater sinners, because they're calling Paul a greater sinner. You say you're justified by faith, you don't observe the Mosaic law, you're a greater sinner than you ever were. He said, oh, no, no. Justification by faith alone does not produce lawlessness in those who are justified. And then he goes on to say, I'll tell you how I can be a great lawbreaker. If I go back and rebuild the theology I took apart when God showed me Christ alone is enough, if I go back and put the converts under the law and put them under a work system to make them really have a status before God, I will promote sin. Christ would be promoting sin. And God forbid that he would ever save us to make us lawless. Christ is now promoting what we call theologically antinomian, anti-law, rebellious. uh, I do as I please. And this is the common attack. He said the same argument, the reason we argue for this position is Romans 6 to 8 takes up the same argument. Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Well, you just taught us justification by faith. Yeah, but what about sin? Does this doctrine not say go ahead and sin all you want because you've been given a status of righteousness, so it doesn't matter how you live? You don't even have to keep the Mosaic law. And those who are concerned about ethics and concerned about morality, they get afraid of a doctrine that we tell the sinner, what do I do? What, what, what do I have to do to be saved? I'm strung out. I'm this, this sin. I'm doing that sin. All you've got to do is believe in Christ. And it doesn't matter how I live. Is that what this says? That's not the issue right now. You must exercise faith in Christ, and we offer you no other terms right now. Christ alone is all you must do. And they're thinking, the argument is going back, some say, no, you're saying Christ fosters sin. This method of justification to be declared righteous on Christ, he is really propagating loose living among us. He said, Absolutely not. He's not saying that. By the way, I died to everything the law has asked me to do. The law no longer has any reign over me. Let me say some things here. Grace and to be clear, righteous before God through no good works of our own, does it promote sin? Does it promote sin? I was teaching at a small Bible college. I never knew what the word justification meant till my second year of college. And Dean Moore and Elsa Brandy was the president of a small Bible institute, and I went to it. And I took his Romans class. He made us do eight papers in Romans, and one was on justification. And um, I've never been the same. You know, there's a lot of preachers out. I have to say this. And, And... And, you know, sometimes even the staff get me. Man, you expect everybody to know what propitiation means and what justification means and election and sanctification and adoption. Yeah, I do. Because I was living in a fog, saved, enjoying God, but my whole world just opened up. But I started understanding great biblical terms and their meanings. It it was like a... uh, a second rebirth in me at this little Bible Institute with about 40 students. And when I'm looking at the Greek text and, and I'm saying, Just, "You wait, wait, declared righteous? And I had to memorize this definition. Justification is that judicial act of God whereby he declares a hell-deserving sinner to be righteous based upon the imputed righteousness of Christ. And I memorized that in 1965. Just like that. That judicial act of God whereby he declares a hell-deserving sinner to be righteous based upon the imputed merits of Christ. That is fabulous. I could shout over that for a month. And you've got that glazed look on your face. Like, what's he talking about? Is this important to my marriage? I care less about your marriage until you find out where you're going to spend eternity. You better, first of all, know, am I, am I right with God? Wouldn't you think that's the greatest theological question you need to have answered? Yes. Am I right with God, and will I go to heaven when I die? Or is there something left I must do? I don't feel complete. But I remember as I began to uh, get into these truths and learn this, and uh, and then of all things, when I was at this small Bible college, I, I was teaching the book of Romans, and it, it's like God would never let me get away from it. And it's it just like, He just, and because I grew up thinking I could lose my salvation, I thought I lost it several times. And, and one time I thought I lost it for six months, and then I got saved again. And uh, so many of my family had felt like they'd lost it. My sister Hazel lost her salvation, she'd started wearing lipstick. And uh, let's see, uh, what else? Uh, you yeah, know, big things, big sins. We were notorious. Uh, uh, my sister Ruth could come into church, and she was backslid, and she's back there now with her husband. Uh, uh, Naomi Ruth, my dad wanted to get it right, so he, Naomi Ruth. And then... Uh, You know, I knew so many backslidden people. We were always, it seemed like we spent as much time trying to stay saved as it took to get saved. It was easy to get saved. It was hard to stay saved. You don't know what I'm talking about unless you've been around it. And so, always just, and, and all of a sudden, it just like hit me one day. What did I do to get saved? Did I promise God I'd be sinless? Did I promise God I'd get, I'd become perfect? Did I promise God, bring on the rules, give them to me? Well, which one do you want me to keep? Well, 10 commandments should be a good place. And I love Paul. He got through all nine. And he said, the 10th one slew him. Thou shalt not covet. So that one to slay all of us. You can't lust after anything. You can't even want more money, more power, another wife, another donkey, another promotion. Don't covet anything. That'll slay everybody. And that's when you don't even act out. You just kind of keep smiling. You don't know I'm coveting, do you? Right now, I'm wanting everything you got. <laughs> and I look clean. I haven't done a thing, but I want what you got. Said Paul. Said that's the one that slew him in Romans seven. I got through all nine. But when he said, thou shalt not covet, all kinds of coveting broke out in me. You can't keep the law. And so I thought, I I had, when I was being disciplined by some men in love, trying to warn me, that what their big fear was, this teaching will lead to lawlessness. This teaching, what rules are you going to live by, son? Well, I'm saved by grace. I'm saved by faith. Yeah, but come on, there's got to be more than that. Well, it it says here, I'm saved by grace. Through through faith plus nothing. Come on. What else do you promise? Well, uh, you're going to be lawless. You're going to be loose. You're just throwing away all the rules you grew up with. As though the Christian life needs rules to be lived successfully.
0: And with that, we come to the end of our time today, here on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. Our thanks to you for joining us today. It is our hope and prayer. You've been encouraged, especially as we take our time going through the book of Galatians. If you'd like a copy of today's message or the series today's program was taken from, feel free to contact us and mention it by name, The Gospel Brings Freedom, That's the title of the series, or simply mention today's date for a copy of today's program, and we'll get a copy out to you. You can reach us at 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. Or visit our website, truthfortodayradio.org. I will also link you in to our church website as well here at Valley Bible Church. Again, that's truthfortodayradio.org. As we conclude our time together today, I would remind you that if you would like to become a supporter of Truth For Today, we have, right on through March of 2017, a donor who's willing to match dollar for dollar any contribution raised, again, through March of 2017. So would you consider sending along a donation today? If the broadcast has encouraged you in any way, we'd love to hear from you as well. Whether or not you support us financially, we would love to know how this program ministers to you and blesses you and strengthens you in your relationship with Christ. Take a moment. Get a hold of us today at 855-833-9864 or write to us, 1511 M Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, And that's here in Hercules. The zip code is 94547. Or simply stop by our website and drop us an email. Again, the web address, truthfortodayradio.org. We do thank you for joining us today. And trust we'll see you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.